Police officer Ella French, she was just 29 years old, shot and killed Saturday night in Chicago during a traffic stop. Three suspects are in custody. She was shot in the face. Her partner was shot, critically wounded, said to be clinging to life right now. Uh, I noticed there were no riots in the aftermath of this. Those who support law enforcement and law enforcement themselves, they don't riot. They came together to remember and to honor. I did think, though, kind of interesting that on a Saturday night, this 29-year-old woman patrolling Chicago, Chicago, the city that gave Barack Obama his start, where was he on Saturday night? He was partying in Massachusetts, his 60th birthday party that they made a great big deal over. I think that some of the responsibility for what happened to that officer is with him and his friends on the far left, and especially, especially in the media. Starting in May of last year, in the aftermath of George Floyd, they would glorify and celebrate moments like this, as if this was some sort of logical outgrowth of the death of George Floyd burning down a Minneapolis police station. It is totally insane, but what they have done and what they are doing is totally insane, but we're seeing the consequences. They have delegitimized law enforcement with nonsense like this that they have said and they're saying and they will keep saying. Police are supposed to protect and serve, but has that ever been the case for black Americans? That's the sound of the police. Today's baggage, how slavery helped create modern day policing. The idea of keeping track of the most valuable asset in the United States, that is enslaved Africans, animated much of what we recognize today as law enforcement. To understand American policing today is really to tell a story that comes out of slavery in the United States. So police were established to catch slaves. Now that is nonsense, uh, but that has taken hold with uh, so many people, <laughs> maybe half the country. So resisting arrest is now seen as valid, a logical response to the police. Dante Wright, he resists arrest. He gets shot accidentally. It wouldn't have happened had he not resisted. And so many said, <laughs> it's uh, outrageous to bring up, oh, don't resist. Of course he's supposed to resist because the cops are racist. Eric Garner, if he hadn't resisted, he'd be alive. So many say, well, that, how can you say that? This is, no, that's the essence of this. You have to respect law enforcement. Michael Brown, by the way, in Ferguson, Missouri, didn't respect anybody, law enforcement, the shop owner, um, and George Floyd. Before that horrible video, the knee on the neck, he was resisting arrest, resisting, and the police actually were trying to help him at one point. So where are we in the Chicago case? Uh, the suspects, their identities not been released at this point. We don't know, but it is a reminder that being a police officer is extremely dangerous. And one of the most dangerous things they do is a traffic stop. They might, they might seem run of the mill. Maybe if you get pulled over, you're a little bit scared, but for them, anything can go wrong and sometimes it does. We do need this though. I don't like getting pulled over, it's happened to me. It happens to everyone, no matter what your race is. If you're driving sooner or later, it will happen to you. Just be calm and Things should be fine, but you need this. There's the folks saying that traffic stops are racist. 
Hey, I've been overseas. In Iraq, they never had traffic stops, but they had wild, wild roads where you could do just about anything you wanted to in a vehicle. You don't want that kind of environment. But it seems like we're going there. Uh, after all, law enforcement, systemically racist, right? And what they do must be an outgrowth of systemic racism. Isn't that right, President Biden? It isn't just about police reform. It's about dealing with the deep wound of systemic racism in this nation. All right. That kind of talk undermines law enforcement. It encourages people to resist arrest. It encourages onlooker, onlookers to not help police or give them the benefit of the doubt, but to break out their cameras and try to catch cops making a mistake. All right, that brings me to Barack Obama's birthday, actually, his 60th birthday, a big deal event that they said they were going to scale back, but they did not scale it back. This event, according to all the public reporting, is outdoors and in a moderate zone. But in addition, there is testing requirements and other steps they are taking, which I'm sure they can outline for you in more detail. Scale back my foot. Take a look at this thing. It's bigger than the world's fair. You can kind of make out his house at the end of the tent, but this is obviously a huge mega event. No sign whatsoever that they scaled it back by any means. Uh, let's see. It started with brunch, the day of the big uh, party. There they are, maskless. Uh, OK, now let's go inside the party. There's uh, the former president, uh, Michelle, and somebody named. Have you ever heard of her? H.E.R. Her. Pronounce her. She's a singer-songwriter. Her. She's in the middle. Her. Uh, let's see. Who else is there? Gail King and uh, the guy next to her is Lawrence Banks, also known as Larry, an R&B and soul singer-songwriter. Uh, oh, I got to, quite frankly, uh, give my appreciation to T.J. Chapman. Let's take a look at him. Now, I don't appreciate the weed. That's not my thing. But he was a DJ at the party, and he was taking pictures of everything. They didn't want him doing that. So thanks to him, we have some images of the little uh, tchotchkes that were there. Take a look at this. The special invite, 44 by 60, 44th president, 60th birthday. They thought of everything for this. Hey, plenty of refreshments, right? Hey, it's a party, open bar, of course. And uh, I think uh, he actually took some video for us as, as well. Let's take a look. Um, look, this is kind of, this is excessive. This doesn't seem right especially after his side has been shaming so many people about gathering, including uh, Dr. Fauci this weekend. I'm going to get to that in the next block. Uh, Barack Obama himself uh, dancing on stage with Erica Badu. I heard of her 10 years ago. Apparently, she's still out there. Take a look. Looks a little spooky, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a little spooky. That's a little spooky. But that was Obama. He was holding a microphone and uh, hmm, having a grand old time. I, my last birthday was 12. I don't have birthdays anymore. You reach 12. I think that's enough. John Legend was there with his controversial wife, Chrissy Teigen. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Being unvaccinated and or unmasked at a large indoor gathering is li like literally begging to get COVID. Please don't do that to yourself, your family or your neighbors. Uh, these celebrities, do they? I don't think they tweet themselves. Some staff person thought this was the right thing to say. They were there. What are they arguing? It was such a big tent. 
that it was, it was actually outdoors, even though it was such a big tent? I don't know. Seems pretty hypocritical to me. The whole damn thing seems hypocritical, actually, that Barack Obama, for all that he has, all that he was given, all that we gave him, should be partying in such a decadent manner in Massachusetts. And there is a 29-year-old woman named Ella French patrolling Chicago at the same time who gets shot in the face. I think he should actually start thinking about this. I know <laughs> Newsmax, whatever, he's, but I'm not wrong. Chicago, his town, his hometown of his own, right? He moved there. That's his hometown, more so than Hawaii. Look at what's happening to it, all right? It's coming apart. We can all see that. And you know, he spoke about Chicago so many times in his books, so many times about Chicago and what was happening there and how he knew that the powerful could be so indifferent, his words, to the problems of poverty. He could go there and make a real difference. He could roll up his sleeves, he could, I don't know, rent half of a building, a warehouse, something, and say, I'm going to negotiate a truce between these warring gangs. I'm gonna get kids to put down their guns. Wouldn't that be beautiful? That would be a game changer. That would be Nobel Prize worthy. Instead, no, he's all about parties and phony photo ops, looking like he's the man, but actually just being another greedy celebrity. All that potential, everything that he has, that status. Look, I don't like the guy. There are people who respect him and love him. With that group, he could make a real difference, and he chooses not to. That brings me back to Ella French. 10 times the person that Barack Obama was. 10 times the person that Barack Obama was or is. All right, we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Fauci. And yes, I have one more thing to say about Governor Cuomo. Um, I'm not a fan, but I think this is important. Stay with us, please. Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can say is, is that, that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Fake news loves Dr. Fauci, don't they? Because, turns out, in addition to being wrong, he's also a bit of a snob. Out uh, in the plains, in the Great Plains, we have Sturgis, South Dakota, there's going to be, a, there's a gathering right now of some 700,000 people. Last year, it was a smaller turnout, and it was over about 150,000 people, and it, and it led to a massive outbreak in the Dakotas where they became number one and number two uh, for essentially the rest of the calendar year of cases. What do you expect this rally to do to that part of the country? Well, I'm very concerned, Chuck, that we're going to see another surge related to that rally. I mean, to me, it, it's, it's, it's understandable 
that people want to do the kinds of things they want to do. They want their freedom to do that. But there comes a time when you're dealing with a public health crisis that could involve you, your family and everyone else, that something supersedes that need to do exactly what you want to do. Can you just be a bit more straightforward? Too many words, too many words. Look, he's complaining about the great big mass motorcycle rally. Who goes to that? Hmm. A lot of MAGA people. Not all, but a lot of MAGA people, all right? <sighs> Lollapalooza was not too long ago. A great big music festival in Chicago. 400,000 people there. That's fine. Barack Obama's big birthday party. That's fine. See why they like Dr. Fauci so much? Because he's one of them, all right? Uh, I want to tell you about this book, and I don't recommend it. It's called I Alone Can Fix It, Donald Trump's Catastrophic Final Year. Now, I'll have more to say about this and the mistakes and the fake news that are rampant in this book. Um, but for now, I want to tell you a quick little story that got my attention. And let's assume it's all true. Um, President Trump, about a year ago, makes a phone call to Dr. Collins, who is Dr. Fauci's boss at the National Institute of Health. So he calls him up on the phone. Guess where Dr. Collins is? On a well-deserved vacation. They go on and on about what a well-deserved vacation this is, and he's on some island uh, off the coast of Virginia. They make fun of the small talk that Donald Trump engages in on the, on the call. He's at the White House, and he's trying to move up the approval of a COVID treatment. It's just so interesting that they think they're making fun of Donald Trump because of how he's talking and what he says in the small talk non-important part of the phone call. They overlook that. He's the one working. He's the guy on vacation. He's pushing. He's resisting. It's interesting. I'll have more to say about this book later in the week. But first, don't buy it, okay? Uh, television news. Boy, they want us freaked out about COVID. States of emergency. Hospitals pushed to the brink by COVID cases. Austin activating its emergency alert system. New mask mandates in big cities. And some hospitals seeing more children now than ever before. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. And the music and everything like that. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, fear-mongering. I really do. I don't know what's going on. I got vaccinated. Uh, I'm not saying anybody should do anything. Talk to your doctor. I had a bad reaction to the vaccination. My wife told me to do it. I did it, and that's all I'm going to do. Other than that, I'm going to avoid a lot of the mainstream media, all right? Also, Governor Cuomo. Some people think he'll be out by the end of the week. He'll resign. He'll get impeached. That'll take longer. Look, I'm sorry. I don't like Governor Cuomo for a lot of other reasons. The $5 million book advance, we talked about this last week. Uh, he enjoyed COVID. He was having fun. He was getting tan. He didn't seem to mind that businesses were closing all over the place. But this stuff, the allegations, they're not cutting it. Now, you're about to see the most, uh, the accuser with the most serious allegations. Her name is Brittany Comisso. And, uh, well, there are some issues here. There are some issues here. Number one. In the report, you're known as executive assistant number one. I am executive assistant in the governor's office, but I am also a mother. I am a daughter. I am a friend. I'm a colleague. I am more than executive assistant number one. Okay, nobody said otherwise, but she's on TV. She's having a moment. 
Now, uh, you tell me if I'm being too harsh here. She's about to un uh, go through this more serious allegations against Governor Cuomo. She is the most significant accuser that he's got. While I was upstairs in the office, the governor said, why don't we take a selfie? So his suggestion, you yes. say? With I, your phone? With my phone. I then felt, while taking the selfie, his hand go down my back onto my butt, and he started rubbing it. Not sliding it, not, you know, quickly brushing over it, rubbing my butt. And did you ask him, what are you doing? Well, this was while I was taking the selfie. I became so nervous that my hands were clearly shaking, and a lot of the photos that I was snapping were completely blurry. I showed him them, and he said, oh, you know, those aren't, you know, those aren't good. And he said, why don't we go sit on the couch? Wow. All right. Next up, they go to the couch. I showed him them, and he said, oh, you know, those aren't, you know, those aren't good. And he said, why don't we go sit on the couch, and we can take a better one. So you sat on the couch? Um, I sat on the couch because I thought to myself, okay, I don't think on the couch that he would have a way to just do what he just did. So I felt safer, actually, on the couch. And then what happened on the couch? She was uh, groped again, she alleges. Now, this couch moment was front page news last week. It's still big news. Look at that headline, New York Post. Great newspaper, by the way, but wow, creep. That's quite a word. Take it full if you don't mind. Her, that's her. She's been digitized out. Now let's see, now that she's identified herself and people are using the picture, non-digitized. I don't know, what do you think? Now, <laughs> it's risky business right now, even questioning women, even, you know, using our eyes, using our judgment, using picking up cues that might be there and thinking, I don't know, this doesn't seem to comport with what she's talking about. Because in America in 2021, a lot of people say this. No matter what. These 11 women were in a hostile and toxic work environment and that we should believe women and that what we have an obligation and a duty to do is to protect women. We have to believe women who come forward and fully investigate. Believe women. It's our obligation to protect women. These women were extremely courageous and, and we need to respect them and believe them. It became a mantra, believe women. Alan Dershowitz says, Believe evidence. How does that sound? Look, I'm not sure what's going on here in the investigation, maybe criminal charges. Who knows what's going to happen? We'll be watching. But I have a sense that this is a message from someone very powerful, more powerful than Cuomo, maybe somebody close to Biden, because he tried to take Biden's spot on the ticket last year. People forget he did. There was that time before Biden actually was nominated where he looked very weak and replaceable by somebody like Cuomo, who was looking very, very good at the time. So is this to teach him a lesson? Is this to show what powerful people can do with not that much? Hmm? Because right now, all the evidence against Cuomo pales in comparison to all the evidence against Joe Biden. You've seen it. I've seen it. We've all seen horrendously inappropriate behavior.
Who's controlling him? What's happening to Andrew Cuomo could very well be scaring the bejesus out of Joe Biden because Joe Biden has issues. We all know that. Hunter Biden. Did you know Hunter Biden? It's easy to forget, overlook, because they made not a big deal out of this. Hunter Biden is under investigation. Hunter Biden pointed that out after the election, before the inauguration, that he was under investigation for tax issues, federal investigation. What's the status of that investigation? Something tells me if Joe Biden gets out of line, that investigation could suddenly become red hot. Let's keep our eyes on this one, okay? All right, also this. Finally, the Olympics are over. You probably didn't watch. I barely saw anything. I did see some athletes behaving very badly in victory and others behaving gloriously. Uh, let's see. We had the woman who finished second place in the shot put. She was a... And then the woman who got the gold medal for wrestling. Take a look at this. Uh, this is kind of where we are right now. This is... Uh, Two parts of the country represented by both of these women. I'm feeling very happy and I keep trying not to cry, but it keeps happening. I just want to go into a dark room and just cry. Uh, I'm crying from joy because I knew I could do it when I first started wrestling. I felt that I could be an Olympic champ, so I kept going. I did it. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. <laughs> love it. Well, <laughs> that's totally awesome. I, I wish I watched her. That was great. It's kind of what America and the Olympics, right, all about. And then we have uh, the shot put thrower. Uh, a decidedly different take. When she got the medal, she made a, a symbol of resistance or something or other with her arms. And then she showed up on the Today Show and said this. I, I noticed when you took the stand uh, during the medal ceremony, yes, uh, you raised your arms in an X yes, uh, formation. Um, what, 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 was, what was that about? So the X, um, for a lot of the athletes, we talked about um, like kind of what, what was going to be our stance and what do, you, what do we stand for. And X pretty much represents the intersection of where all people who are oppressed, you know, meet. Um, I'm a black female. I'm, I'm queer. Uh, and I, I talk about mental health awareness. Um, I deal with depression, anxiety, and PTSD a lot. Um, so me personally, I represent being really at that intersection. So for me, I, I decided to use my platform to really speak up for all of those people. Uh, she's got a lot on her plate there, and good luck with all of that, the intersection, whatever. Uh, when it comes to the athletes, my favorite was that wrestler. That's what it's all about. She freaking loves living here. I freaking love her! All right, we'll be right back with some important details about January 6th. January 6, 2021, the worst day in American history since the War of 1812, worse than 9-11. You believe people say that with a straight face, that this was worse than 9-11? They want it to seem that way. They want to portray it that way. Why? Well, they say that questions about the fairness of the November election led to this. And that way, by exaggerating this event, 
we won't be able to ask those questions about the fairness of the election. That's not gonna work. It's not gonna work with me. We still have questions about the fairness of the election and we're allowed to. Yes, Joe Biden is president, but we are still concerned because it could mean bad things for us in 2022 and 2024. What else about this day? Ashley Babbitt, why haven't they told us the name of the shooter? Doesn't that seem fundamentally wrong? Ashley Babbitt, unarmed. She wasn't warned. We all saw that. And she was shot by a Capitol Hill police officer. Ella French, by the way, was shot by, well, maybe three suspects. They're in custody right now. We don't know anything about them other than two men and one woman. We don't have their names, don't have anything about them. Isn't that odd? I think that's going to be corrected soon, but I'm not as uh, optimistic about finding out information about Ashley Babbitt's shooter. Why don't we know? That makes no sense. It also makes no sense to glorify the riots of 2020, yet totally distort the significance and exaggerate it beyond any, you know, any reasonable description. Uh, January 6th. This is kind of insane. And the FBI, they seem more than willing to engage in the hype. Still on their Twitter, the number one tweet, the pinned tweet, is a statement basically asking for the public's help to round up anybody involved or who may have looked at the Capitol on January 6th. There were a lot of people there and some bad things happened and some people did break the law and they'll be punished. But this is over the top. We've talked a lot about all those who are still in custody, some in solitary confinement. The Horns guy, Jacob Chansley, who didn't hurt anybody, who didn't break anything. Uh, they may have a problem with the prosecution, though. A judge came forward who's been involved in a lot of this and, and raised something that could give prosecutors a hard time. Take a look at this. The government could face a constitutional vagueness problem if it cannot articulate to courts or put individuals clearly on notice how corruptly obstructing or influencing Congress differs from ordinary trespassing, parading, or disorderly conduct in the Capitol. It's a kind of a technical thing that's going on. They have been charging folks with uh, matters like um, uh, obstructing and influencing Congress not sedition and not insurrection. Those are chargeable offenses and they're not charging them with those things. That's interesting, isn't it? It actually is and it's significant because the idea that this was an insurrection, even though the media says it all the time, is just not true. Clearly this was a yeah. deadly insurrection. Clearly they were attempting to overthrow our government. This is an insurrection. Last week's insurrection was shocking and tragic. We've seen an unprecedented insurrection in our capital and a brutal attack on our democracy on January the 6th. There is a presidential inspired insurrection, plain and simple, an insurrection. The president of the United States incited insurrection against our country. The Insurrection was an existential crisis, a test of whether our democracy could survive. Um, if it were an insurrection, they'd be charging people with insurrections. Fortunately, they have judges involved who are like, uh, no, uh, and what's this all about? The legal process has been flawed for those associated with January 6th, but it hasn't been totally out to lunch. There is hope, there is hope. Okay, also this.
Black lives do matter, not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says they only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. No, black lives matter, all lives matter, including the life of three-year-old Aldravian King Taylor, three years old, shot and killed at a drive-by shooting outside of Shreveport, Louisiana on July 28th. Uh, Aldravian was inside his mother's home when police say more than 25 shots were fired at the house. Uh, close to midnight. The toddler was hit by one bullet and rushed to the hospital by his mother, where he was pronounced dead. The parents said he was going to be a superstar someday. He was always laughing, always smiling, always playing. It was never a dull moment. And he was going to be a king when he get older. He was going to be some type of superstar. A GoFundMe page has been established. Uh, all kinds of expenses at a time like this. Uh, police have two people of interest they've identified, but no arrests. Aldravian King Taylor, just three years old. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Laredo, Texas is a town right there on the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, great city. I was there many, many years ago. They're suing the federal government over this uh, chaotic border situation. I'd like to bring in the mayor of Laredo, Pete Sines. He is a Democrat currently involved in a lawsuit against the Biden administration. Uh, mayor Sines, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Greg. Uh, yeah, thank you for taking interest in the border. Absolutely. Listen, we're all uh, kind of obsessed with it. First of all, just give us a snapshot. What is it like in your city right now? Yeah, we have two areas of concern. One is the migrants, uh, the, the family units that are being bused uh, from the valley. Uh, that's the RGV. Uh, that's 150 miles uh, downriver from the Rio Grande, uh, from Laredo. Uh, they're bringing in migrants because uh, the valley is overwhelmed with migrants. Uh, so they need more infrastructure, which they have here in Laredo, to process. We, in turn, have settled on that lawsuit. Uh, basically, the, the arrangement uh, with Border Patrol is is that they will, in turn, uh, once they get done processing the migrants, and that's about 200 more or less a day, uh, that uh, they'll hand them to us, to the city of Laredo. We'll take responsibility for them. And what we're doing now is actually busing these migrants uh, further north uh, to a northern uh, Texas uh, cities because we can't handle it. The other area of concern is are these stash houses. Uh, Laredo um, sector is known for single adults versus the family units that you see in the Valley area. Uh, so the single adults uh, translate into stash homes and in turn translates into uh, tractor trailer uh, loads and, and train loads uh, heading north. Uh, and of course, that creates an environment here of, All right. of uh, criminality, which, which we're lucky yet that we're still a very safe city, but, but who knows uh, if resources aren't, aren't uh, obtained. So the lawsuit that you have filed against the Department of Homeland Security, what are you seeking specifically? Okay, when, when we filed the lawsuit, uh, we were seeking a, a restraining order to put a halt uh, to these buses that were coming in with migrants simply because we had a uh, NGO uh, capacity issue. And of course, our hospitals now, uh, because of the uh, COVID-19 situation that has arisen throughout the nation, uh, we're no exception. And of course, uh, adding another layer of population, which is basically the migrants into our city, uh, would, would create more of a, a, a big problem for us. So the, again, the lawsuit has been resolved. 
uh, and we've entered into an arrangement with Border Patrol, as I explained earlier. Well, excellent. COVID, how bad is it? COVID, it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, we've had zero uh, ICU beds for the last seven days. Uh, we've had uh, three or four beds availability for the last uh, seven weeks or so. So it's, it's pretty bad here in our in our city, uh, uh, and and in due because of the uh, this third or fourth wave uh, of COVID. But we're concerned too that if uh, we're not equipped to to bring in you know additional uh, folks, and, and these folks we feel that the federal government has a choice; they could take them someplace else where there's uh, some other facilities that can better you know attend to them. So uh, we can't we can't even deal with our own folks, uh, much less. Uh, uh, someone else uh, coming into our city. You're a Democrat. You, uh, <laughs> you, you rattled a legal sword, at least, uh, against the Biden administration. You taking heat for that personally? Well, I am. I'm a conservative above all, uh, uh, but, but yet I'm a mayor, and I, my best interest is really my city and my, my residents here. Uh, so whoever party uh, is in power, uh, I mean, so be it. I focus on my city and what's best uh, for us. And at the time, uh, we, we could not handle any more uh, migrants in our city. Uh, we had ample space in our hospitals. Uh, uh, obviously, by all means, we'll, you know, we'll accept uh, yeah. migrants and residents, but, but we don't. You know, we certainly don't have any hospital capacity. So do me a favor. Just compare where things are today with where things were a year ago under President Trump? No comparison. It's much, much worse. Uh, the border needs to be secured. And I've said this many, many times. And I've said this many, many times as well. We need resources. We need uh, more Border Patrol. Uh, my understanding is that been cutting the Border Patrol budget. Uh, border Patrol people are friends. We're not a, a uh, you know, we, we accommodate uh, the federal agencies uh, and we work very closely with them. If we didn't have the federal agencies here in our city, uh, Laredo wouldn't be uh, the safe city that we are. But if, if the resources aren't received uh, timely, uh, shortly, uh, there's no telling what our city is going to look like uh, in a few weeks or months. Uh, so we're asking desperately, send more Border Patrol people, send more uh, technology, uh, and, uh, and, and don't force these folks to come to the border uh, to, to apply for amnesty. You know, have some sort of a system change of policy where they can apply from their countries of origin or areas close to those uh, safe places where they can feel assured that they'll be uh, protected, but yet make their application if that's the policy. And apparently that's the policy now. And, you know, each presidency brings their own policies, but this policy here hasn't been implemented yeah. correctly, had not been financed correctly, and, and operationally it's a disaster. Oh. And don't forget the other policy. Don't come. Don't come. Remember that when she went down there and said, don't come. It didn't work. It didn't work. Uh, no, it didn't work. And we're, we see evidence of that every day. It doesn't work. Mayor Pete Sands signs uh, on the front lines, literally. Thank you, sir. Mayor of Laredo, Texas. Keep in touch. We'll be following the situation. Anything we can do, let us know. Okay. Thank you so much for taking interest. Take care. You Good bet. night. Take care now. And we'll be right back. We have this in the uh, Officer Ella French case, the 29-year-old Chicago cop who was shot and killed on Saturday night. This man is in custody and is being charged with first-degree murder. Uh, Monte Morgan is his name. 
there are two other people in custody. We don't have an identity on them, but here he is. This is the alleged shooter, the alleged cop killer. Uh, we have his name and we have uh, the picture. And uh, we actually have joining us right now Mike Sullen. He is the president of the Seattle Police Officers Guild, here to talk about a matter involving two of his cops in Seattle. But first, Mike, uh, the whole country is aware of what happened to Officer French, or at least they should be. Uh, your reaction to what happened Saturday and now uh, news of uh, this criminal charge? Well, my condolences go out to um, Officer French's family and colleagues, in particular, to all law enforcement nationwide. We all understand that this is uh, this is an assault on our profession. What's occurring, and sadly, it's officers that are on the front lines that are being maligned and besmirched by the activist class that continue to push this nonsensical defund movement, which I think is emboldening criminals to have lack of respect for law enforcement, and more importantly, lack of respect for law and order. As we're seeing major urban cities across the United States plagued with crime and low staffing numbers, and Officer French, sadly, is, um, her life is gone because of those issues. You know, I agree. We have demonized cops, we've delegitimized them, and we have somehow, the media have said it's okay to resist arrest. That is like a legitimate, there, there's a district attorney here in New York who has, I believe, made it not a chargeable offense if you resist arrest. This is the climate that we're in and your cops are in the middle of it all. So listen, back to the matter at hand, two of your officers um, have been arrested in connection with January 6th and they've also been terminated by the Seattle Police Department. I know that wasn't your call, you're from the Officers Guild, but uh, we have their pictures, Caitlin and Alex Everett. Now, I'm hearing they were not actually inside the Capitol. Tell us, though, uh, your thoughts on their losing their jobs uh, in the Seattle Police Department. Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, just to correct the record, the officers have not been arrested. They have not been charged with a crime. And I think just that fact alone is evidence enough that this case along with a lot of issues post-January 6th, are extremely politicized. And one of the issues that I highlight is the OPA case file by itself, which is our Office of Police Accountability. They have not laid out a strong enough case to even justify termination. And these officers did not witness any criminality. They were on the outside of the Capitol on the grass area. And based upon the timeline of when they were present, which was 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they left the crowd, which was hundreds of thousands of people, once the EBS message from the mayor came out. And they're adamant they didn't witness any criminality. And, and the reason why I say this is politicized is because the day the director's certification memo came out with this case file, OPA released a press release which said that these two officers specifically witnessed the defiling of our nation's democracy, but more importantly, witnessed fellow law enforcement officers being assaulted. Greg, as you know, that's not the case. They didn't witness any of that. It's not laid out in our case file. So that's another example of how politicized this event has become. And OPA eventually retracted that press release. Overall in Seattle, uh, how are things going? I mean, talk about stigmatizing cops and the Chaz and 
that law enforcement free zone that we saw last year. Are you guys, are you back on your footing? I know you had very little political support. Well, back on our footing, uh, we're, we're trying to get there and we have literally zero political support. The political betrayal is daunting. And as you know, we've lost over 300 cops because of the defunding nonsense. And now we have 12 police reform bills that have impacted our state capital. Two in particular, which are just detrimental to public safety, where cops right now are literally wondering what's next because there is so much, um, I would say, concern, not only for their uh, careers, but for the legal standing, whether or not they make the wrong split-second decision and then are excoriated by the media or the activist class that drive politics in our city. Mike Solon, we appreciate it so much. Uh, president of the Seattle Police Officers Guild. The job is tougher than ever before, and it, it shouldn't be that way. You've got great technology, great equipment, and uh, we know huge portions of the community support you guys. Why is it tougher than ever before? If you can give us a quick answer, if you don't mind. Yeah, because the, the politics surrounding public safety are absolutely astronomical and almost overwhelming. Mind you, a year ago, our mayor and the president of our council said we are the modeled reformed agency. They were trying to terminate the settlement agreement with the Department of Justice. Now, because of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, across the nation, they've obviously walked back their support, and then now they're hurting us politically with these draconian laws that really make it difficult for us to do our jobs, not just in Seattle, but across our entire state. And as you know, Greg, Seattle's politics spreads across the state. Mike Solon, we appreciate it so much. Good luck, stay safe, our best to your officers. President of the Seattle Police Officers Guild. Thanks, Greg. You bet, we'll be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels and switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda, no spin, just the facts. Millions watches, so can you. Newsmax, we are real news for real people. Thanks for supporting Newsmax. Thanks for supporting this show. Stand by for Stinchfield. We'll see you tomorrow.